0: Hey, hey, this is Maximize Your Influence. This is episode 347. We're talking about today who should make the first offer negotiation. And if you've been taught in any seminar, it's probably been wrong because the old school trading here is completely wrong. You will be surprised. We're going to talk about that today. Hopefully you're having a great week. Things are going well for me. It is summertime. I love the summertime. Love the warmth. Love the water. And love that it's a little more relaxed. I don't know if that's because it's summertime or things slowing down because that dang virus. Been doing some coaching this week with some clients, helping them develop the perfect persuasive presentation. I'm telling you, when I was doing research for Laws of Charisma, your ability to present makes all the difference in the world. Because most people aren't willing to do it, but if you could be persuasive when you present, not just present, but be persuasive, not just inform, but be influential, That changes the game because now you can persuade in a group setting instead of one-on-one. So keep your eye out for the perfect persuasive presentation. Interest in coaching? Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and let me know. That's also the place for the archives, InfluenceUniversity.com, your free persuasion IQ assessment, and the book Maximum Influence. That's a new edition. You also get that one for free. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. Since we're doing housekeeping, you can find us on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And of course, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com or hit me at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com with any questions, comments, jokes, rude remarks, whatever you had, love to hear from you. Let's dive into it today, the persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't! So it's listening to a representative of a software company, kind of a SaaS company, if you're familiar with that model. One of the fun things I get to do is to listen to these presentations and critique them on the back end, because that's where the world learning takes place, because you can listen to yourself doing it and make the adjustments and hear the critiques. So this is a high-end software, and the person, of course, wasn't being too pushy, and that's always a good thing. You want to push a little bit. I mean, there's the fine line between persistence and being a pain in the butt, and they were probably on the other side not persistent enough. And here came the objection, here came the excuse, oh, I've got to take this to my committee, I've got to take this to my group, this is what I need to do, let me get back to you. And that's where it sat. And of course, I'll put money on they never heard from that person again. Now, first of all, 67% of the time, that's a lie. When people say it's too expensive, can't afford it, send me more information, talk to fill in the blank. It's usually a lie. But again, sometimes people do have to take it to a committee. They do have to think about it. Now, the first thing here, if someone to say is they need to think about it, you should probably say, great, validate the objection. And then say, what exactly do you need to think about? What that enables you to do is to find out, is this a true objection or a knee-jerk objection? When they say, I need to think about everything, probably not. But when they say certain specific things, then you know exactly what they're thinking about. Now, back to this presentation I was monitoring and critiquing. Let me get back to you later. Of course, that could be valid, but let me just put it out to you there. Let's assume this is valid. They have to take it to committee. They have to talk to a partner. Let's assume that's valid. Just remember, and here's the blunder, never let someone else persuade for you. Never let someone else sell for you. Never let someone else negotiate for you, especially if they're not an expert in your field and your product or service. Because they're going to get into a committee, into a group. There's going to be a few questions. They're going to take your hour-long presentation and crystallize it into 30 to 60 seconds, which is not going to give it justice. And it's not going to sound very good because you let somebody else persuade for you. Never let that happen. If someone's going to take to a committee, if someone's going to take to a partner, a couple things need to happen here. First of all, see if you can be in that meeting. That's the first thing. Be on the phone. Be on the Zoom call. Whatever it is, make sure you're there. If you can. If not, be there to follow up with any questions that they have or available on phone. Set that time aside or at least prep them to persuade for you with some frequently asked questions, with some things that they're going to hear, with objections they're going to get they haven't even thought of. Prep them for that presentation. Any one of those will do, but just don't let them persuade for you. Be there if you can, available on the phone if you can or prep them if you can, or all the above. Whatever you need to do, make sure you don't fall into that trap, to that blunder, to let someone else persuade for you because they're going to take that hour, beautiful presentation you gave that answered all their questions and solved their objections, and it's just going to hit a brick wall because they're just not used to it and they don't know how to answer the questions or objections. So that is our blunder of the week. Which brings us to listener email oh boy, and the Geeky Article. Two sounds in a row because the Geeky Article comes from Martin from Connecticut. Every once in a while we'll take a Geeky Article that others have found and we'll critique it. Usually it's a long list of do's and don'ts, and some are good and some are not so good. We'll go through that. Martin is from Connecticut, says he used to work in New York City, now he's doing more of the online things. He says, I'm loving the laws of charisma, audios, and ways to connect and build rapport. And I loved how you talked about a few weeks ago the opposite how we're creating resistance. I found this article in Water Insights on the 14 Habits of the Most Likeable People. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for the kudos on the laws of charisma. Those are also available at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So this is titled The 14 Habits of Most Likeable People. Of course, we'll link it on the website, Maximize Your Influence. So this is from BusinessInsider.com, Richard Filoni, and... Napoleon Hill, of course, you know that name from Think and Grow Rich. So let's go through them and I'll let you know what I think. We learned a few things from this. First one, you know, a lot of this is taken from Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. If you haven't read that, you're not taking your life or career very seriously because Napoleon Hill, if you don't know, interviewed successful people, millionaires, to find out what they're thinking and doing. It's different than the average person. If you don't know this, success is a old book test. He provides a lot of the answers. And it's pretty simple. You want to be successful. You want to be a millionaire. You start thinking, acting, and doing what other millionaires do. Go to Maximize Your Influence and check out Millionaire Psychology. That is the focus. Self-persuasion and mindset. First one is develop a pleasing personality. He also called it a million-dollar personality. He talked about Charles Schwab pleasing personality, how you get anybody just because of that personality to do anything. Oh, great, pleasing personality. does make you more likable and people go out of your way to help you and be persuaded by you. There is a direct correlation between likability and your ability to persuade others. Next one, they develop a positive mental attitude and let it be seen and felt by others. We talked about this a few weeks ago, optimism. We're still looking around corners. We don't want to be hit by other people because we're too optimistic. But hey, we love a good mental attitude. Attitude does come from our expectations, so we expect things to eventually work out. That's part of our optimism, and people don't want that cynic. They don't want that negative person. They don't like that person to suck the life out of them. I agree that with someone that's positive, that has a good reputation. The key thing I like about this is to be seen in your day-to-day actions by others and to be felt by others. How about this one? They always speak in carefully disciplined, friendly tone. Hmm. Well, it's true. A pleasing sound. A friendly tone. Being able to speak in front of an audience. Not alienating people with your voice. True. But I think there's a time to inflect down a more serious tone to be the expert to where you need to tell people what they need to do. Because when you're accepted as the expert, there's very little persuasion resistance. So I'm going to say, hmm. Sometimes, not all the time, because sometimes you need to have that serious tone, the right tonality, that expert tone in your voice where people know you're the expert, you're telling them what to do. Again, when they accept you as the expert, there's very little resistance. So I'll say, okay, sometimes on that one. Next one, they pay close attention to someone speaking to them. Well, this is true. Great persuaders are great listeners. They ask three times more questions. They come across as a consultant more than a salesperson. This is true. And the reality is, if you learn to do those things, they'll tell you everything you need to know to persuade them. We are talking way too much. That's a big complaint. We tend to vomit on people. So that one's absolutely true. How about this one? They're able to maintain their composure in all circumstances. Well, that's true when people overreact or I'll add unpredictable or give a poor first impression. Yeah, people are going to remember that. So you got to be very careful with how you act, how you treat other people. I mean, there's a time and place to get angry in a certain situation, but you have to take a look at the circumstance and how you react to that. So most of the time on that one. Next one is they are patient. Talk about the proper timing of your words, your acts, your deeds, give you a big advantage over impatient people. Uh, I don't know. I've met a lot of successful people that aren't very patient they follow the model ready, fire, aim. <laughs> okay, they just run and they do it. They're not prepared, but they get it done. But at least they've done it, where a lot of people wait till all are ducks in a row and they never do anything. So there's a kind of a happy medium there. So I don't think they're always patient. It's a good thing to be patient, to approach people at the right time, to persuade people at the right time. So I'll save most of the time on that one. Next one is they talk about they keep an open mind. So it says those who close themselves off from certain ideas... And only associate with like-minded people are missing out on personal growth, but they're not advancing in their careers. I'll agree on that angle on that. As truly influential people and leaders, we need to get along with every personality, every culture, every age group, every department, even if people do have different beliefs. To have an open mind say, all right, they believe. Why, put yourself in their shoes. Why do they believe that way? Why do they think that way? We're getting to the point in society where if someone believes something differently politically or something about society, or even religion. They turn them off, they're wrong, they're bad, they're evil, and we don't talk to them. So I'm going to say yes on that one. Definitely keep an open mind, because until you get yourself in their shoes and really understand them, you're going to have a hard time trying to persuade them. How about this one? They smile when speaking with others. Napoleon Hill talks about Franklin D. Roosevelt's great assessment was his million-dollar smile, which allowed people to lower their guards in their conversation. Hey, smile does... Work over the phone. A smile is contagious face-to-face. A smile does increase sales and retail by 20%. But we got to be careful by culture, the situation, the gender. There's so many different things here. So usually a smile, but we got to be careful when we use a smile because some people have those cheesy, I need to run smiles or hide your children type smiles. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I know I've been diagnosed with RBF. You don't know what that is. Look, that went up. We've talked about that one. So I have the opposite Challenge, and so I'll say most of the time. There, the other one they talk about is they know that not all their thoughts need to be expressed. (laughs) Probably true. You're probably gonna offend a lot of people if everyone knew what you're thinking and feeling. That's the challenge. We add to that, too, especially a great listening skill. One of the reasons we're such poor listeners, we're thinking what to say next, what to do next, and a lot of times we cut people off, we don't listen. So, if you have a thought you think needs to be expressed, write it down. That gives you a chance to just kind of let it go, keep listening, and then express it when the time is right. Here's one. They don't procrastinate. Now, procrastination, we've talked about in the show, go to the archives, that it is a form of fear. People are afraid of taking action. Although some success studies show some good books coming out talk about procrastination. There are certain things we should procrastinate and put off. And there's some things maybe we don't even want to touch. And so there's a time and place. I'll say most of the time on that one. Here's an interesting one, they engage in at least one good deed a day. Well, I'll go with that. That's networking, that's building relationship, that's understanding reciprocity, that's just the right thing to do, just doing one nice thing, one good deed. I'll add a compliment, something every day. It helps you more than it helps the person, it really does, it just changes the game a little bit, plus you got the reciprocity factor, getting the right thing to do, and it builds a relationship. Here's one. They find a lesson in failure rather than brood over it. Now, there's a word I haven't heard in a while, a brood. So they don't wallow in their failure. They've learned from it. They develop wisdom from it. And that's true. Just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. You've heard that one before. But failures are good. You learn, you grow, you become better, you overcome it. That's what makes us better people. It's okay to fail at something as long as we don't repeat it and we learn and grow from it. So there's a great lesson that plus it just makes us better people because when we go through these failures, we learn and grow from it. We just become better people and we understand others going through the same thing. We understand them better. Next when they act as the person they're speaking to is the most important person in the world. Yeah, duh, we've talked about that. A likable person. We're not fubbing. That's when you're looking at your cell phone or computer and when people are talking to you, they're the most important person. And you have to understand, they can do business with you or they know someone that can you treat them like the most important person. I'll thumbs up to that one. Next one we've talked about, one of the laws of persuasion, is they praise others in a genuine way without being excessive. I call it the law of esteem. He says, it's a good trait, but don't rub it on too thickly, Napoleon Hill says, and there's truth to that. But we know, studies even show, even though you're putting it on thick, people still like it, it still feels good. It's called ingradiation. And gradiators do get more promotions. They do make more money. I don't say you do that. Be sincere, be genuine, and don't do it in an excessive way. But I'm telling you with the law of esteem, when you boost someone's esteem through praise that opens the doors to influence, you bruise it through a better story, through making somebody feel bad, whatever it is, it shuts the doors to influence. And final one, they have someone they trust to point out their flaws, So Napoleon Hill says to have a confident who can be completely honest with them allows them to continue growing that personal development. And that's true. We still have a mastermind team. Some of that's going to be honest with a presentation or your attempt to influence like, yes, good, good, lame, bad, good, bad, whatever it is, where they could critique you in a way where you're learning, you're growing from it. Because No one gives a perfect presentation, but we can't coach ourselves. We know the greatest athletes in the world, they need a coach because what you think you're doing right or wrong is very different. Guarantee you what you're doing right or wrong. When I do seminars on the perfect persuasive presentation and I have somebody do a video before we watch it, remember this is called the Woebegone or self-perception biased, the Woebegone effect, that when I have people rate themselves, they're either way too high or way too low. No one pegs themselves right where they're at. They just can't. We just perceive ourselves the wrong way. We're either way too high or way too low. Usually way too high. So take a deep breath and kind of figure out somebody that can steer you in the right direction and coach you to the next level. So Martin, those are the 14 we went to. They're like, "Whoops, so most of them are pretty good. Some a little dated. Some I just, most of the time, I think we need to adapt. Remember our goal is to persuade people how they want to be persuaded. So that brings us to our Persuasion IQ question of the day. Here it is. So we'll give you a couple of questions here. Question number one, during a negotiation, should you make the first offer? True, false, or it depends? Second question is, when you come into a negotiation with a high number, you must make sure it is A, justifiable, B, the second offer on the table, C, overwhelming, D, more or less than expected. E, your final offer. So let's tackle the multiple choice one first. When you come to a negotiation with a high number, you need to make sure, number one, regardless of timing, we don't want it to be overwhelming. The answer is A, it has to be justifiable. There has to be a way for them to know you didn't pull that number out of the air. They have to know there's a standard for you to arrive at your offer. Even though it's really high or really low, they have to feel that it's justifiable. This is where we get our number. Here's our formula. Here's our standard. Here are the comps. This is where the number comes from. It needs to be justifiable because if you hit the insult zone, it sounds like you're pulling it out of the air. It's not going to be persuasive. And the other thing we know here that when it's an odd number, odd numbers are always more persuasive than even numbers. For example, $107,403 is always more persuasive than just 100000 straight up. Even though it's more money, it's an odd number and it sounds like you've done the math. It needs to be justifiable. So let's talk about the other one, the first offer. It is okay to make the first offer. Now, many negotiation trainers will teach you this is wrong. Now, the studies show the person who makes the first offer. Now, this is assuming you've done your research. They create the starting point of the negotiation. They create what's called an anchor and the studies show they get better terms. So not only do you get better terms, you get to dictate the starting point or anchor point of the negotiation, but also it builds likeability and builds trust. Because everyone's been to the same school, we don't make the first offer, don't make the first offer, nobody goes, everyone's holding their cards tight, there's no trust, they don't get anywhere. Now, if you don't know what the number is, if you haven't done your research, if you have no idea what they're going to say, if you have no idea about the industry, don't go first. But I'm assuming you know what's going on, you've done your research, go first, you're going to get better terms, build trust and have a more successful negotiation. Now, of course, you want that number, as we talked about, to be justifiable, to be as high as low as possible without getting in that insult zone. Again, we don't want you to make it look like you pulled it out of thin air. It has to be, again, a formula, a policy, a standard practice, whatever it is. Especially in a negotiation where there's some tension, maybe there's some past history, they don't trust you, they're going to assume the worst about you and your motives. So that's another time to go first, to show them you're open, maybe offer a concession, go first. Again, not only to build trust and likability, you get to dictate the starting point of the negotiation, which I'm telling you, the studies show you statistically will get better terms. In fact, a famous Harvard study involved giving some executives insider information about one company's plans to acquire another. The executives are randomly assigned to role play the part of either the buyer or the seller. What they didn't know that the information given to each side was identical. Both sides had the same insider information. After analyzing the information, the executives each had to give their private assessment of the company's fair value. Now, it wasn't surprising that the executives who played the part of the seller gave values that were more than double those offered by those who were playing the role of the buyers. The interesting thing, the results were driven by what would best serve the party in their randomly assigned roles. So just know, in any negotiation, it is expected that each side brings their biases to the table. And you might not know all these biases, and you can't let them kick you off guard. One of the key factors is to put yourself in their shoes. Why are they thinking that? Why are they saying that? What information do they need? Because even in a role play, people take on the role, and they try to get the best for themselves. So when you can show empathy, when you can be friendly, like we talked about today, when you can go first, any of those things helps out the negotiation process because they're automatically assuming, especially if there's history, you're out to get them, you're going to attack them. Get, even in mock situations, people aren't going to divulge all the information they should. They're trying to get the best for themselves. And if you could open yourselves up, show them you're trying to get this win-win, then that changes the game. And one way to do that is to go first. It's okay to go first as long as you've done your research. You know the numbers. Remember, it builds trust. And creates the anchor or starting point of that negotiation. Just want to share that with you because that's counterintuitive for a lot of people. I'm telling you, if you think they're biased, they think you're biased. You're not being friendly, they're not going to be friendly, they're not going to go first. You're not going to go first back and forth. Hey, that just builds on each other and eventually it's a downward spiral and nothing happens in that persuasion and negotiation. So thanks, everybody, for your kind emails and your feedback. And Martin from Connecticut, remember, you get free gold access to influenceuniversity.com. That's our advanced training on persuasion, motivation, influence, and mindset. Seems like we talked about a lot of content today, but hey, take something. Is it going first? Is it likability? Or are you letting other people persuade for you when they shouldn't be? Take something. One thing that you learned today apply it, use it, make it part of you. And that way you become more influential, you're changing the world, you're making more money, you're being more successful and you'll have the ability to go out and persuade with power.